case you ain't noticed, I'm not Brother Dennis. But um, y'all ever had one of them days where you had something planned that you thought when you agreed to do it was going to be good? And then after you had a few days to let it sink in, you got to having second thoughts. And then when the day got here and you was committed to it, you began to realize it was not a good idea and you was wishing you didn't have to do it. Well, I had one of those kind of mornings this morning. I, I had promised to go, I had committed to go see Trump tonight. And my stepdad, who's a fanatic, had got me a ticket to go with him. And it's always good to have stepdad and go out with him. But I, the closer it got, the less I was wanting to do it. And then I found out last night that we had a bunch of our church members going. And they said, we're going to be down there at 12 o'clock. You can come hang out with us all day. And we get to go in at 4. It won't be that bad. We'll make it a fun time. So I'm up this morning and I'm sitting there and I'm, it's raining. It's cold. And I'm thinking, Lord, I sure would like to get out of this. And Brother Dennis texts me, can you preach for me for you tonight? Yes, sir, I can preach for you tonight. <laughs> so I called him and I said, I hate to tell y'all, but Trump got Trumped, amen? <laughs> I said, I'm going to preach the word. But anyway, I thank God for the opportunity to preach. I hate that Brother Dennis is sick. So um, if we think about that, we need to pray for him and lift him and Miss Glenda up. She's recovering from her surgery. But anyway, I am thankful that by the providence of God, he has allowed me to stand here tonight and preach to you. And if you've got a Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me tonight to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, how many of you is familiar with Elijah? He's one of the great Old Testament prophets. What a prophet. He's one of my favorites. And I always looked up to Elijah and I thought Elijah is one that we look to as a hero of the faith. And what a hero he is. But tonight I want to look at something about Elijah. When you think about what Elijah did, he was the man of God that confronted Ahab and Jezebel. Called for the, the, um, the, the drought, caused the famine, stirred up and got the attention of the whole nation of Israel. And then he called after that and prayed again and the rain stopped. He confronted Ahab upon the mountain. And we look at Ahab as the one who called down fire. He was the one that God used to destroy all the prophets of Baal. To restore and bring revival back to Israel. Where they recognized that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel was God. And here he is, he's done all this and he sees God move in such unbelievable ways. And then we read here. You know, in chapter 17, you see Elijah the man of faith. In chapter 18, you see Elijah upon the mountain. But here you see Elijah the man of flesh. Elijah in the valley. Now how many of you have been in the valley and realized that though the spirit is willing, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said the flesh is weak. And I want you to look at this. The mighty Elijah ran like a chicken when Jezebel said she was going to get him. If we look here in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, by this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4 says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. 
Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my ancestors. I want you to look at verse 3 there, and it says, And Elijah ran for his life. If you've got an NIV, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. <laughs> I read that, and I say, that doesn't make any sense. How can he be the great man of God one moment, and then he's running from Jezebel the next? And then I read this in James chapter 5 verse 17 and it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours Elijah wasn't special it wasn't Elijah that he had special supernatural abilities that me and you don't have it was that his faith believed in the God that could do all things and one of the things that Elijah said was as my God lives I will do these things and I want you to think of what it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and earth produced its fruit I want us to look here a minute at what God had done through Elijah and what God had seen you know tonight would you be willing to admit as I get humble and confess that what God has revealed to me in himself the grace that he has showed me, the blessings that he has done, the answered prayers, my faith should be much bigger than it is. My flesh should be surely much more crucified and I must surely, I ought to be more spiritual than I am. But I want you to look at what God had done through Elijah before he ran from Jezebel like this. If you look with me, I want you to look at how he was a natural man just like one of us. If you look back in chapter 17, I want you to see the first time that Elijah is introduced into the word of God. See, when Elijah showed up at the palace to confront Ahab and Jezebel, he was not a well-known, publicly knew who he was, prophet. He had never ever come on the scene. He was a nobody. And if you look at the first thing in the word of God, it says about Elijah. This never really caught my attention until I was studying for this. In verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, And Elijah the Tishbit of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand therefore there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word now I want you to think about this Ahab is king of Israel Jezebel is his wicked queen they have gotten rid of all the prophets they have set up the false worship of Baal they had at least we know 850 prophets that they ended up killing in the end and they think, boy, we got it made. And then all of a sudden, someone they've never heard of, a preacher from nowhere, Elijah the Tishbit. I ask myself, what in the world is a Tishbit? You ever thought about that? A Tishbit is someone who's from a place called Tishbe. Have you ever heard of Tishbe, Israel? It's like, I came here. They said, where are you from? I've been pastoring in Why Not, Mississippi. You'd have never heard of Why Not, Mississippi unless you'd have met me. But you didn't know who I was any more than any other preacher at one time. Here's Elijah, the Tishpit, from the inhabitants of Gilead. He ain't nobody. They never heard of him. He's not a TV preacher. He's not nationally known. He just shows up in the palace, looks Ahab in the eye, and says, Oh, king, you old wicked idolatrous thing, as my God lives, it's not going to rain until it's at my word. And then he leaves. <laughs> and you know what God does? God sends him to take care of him. The first thing it says, if you look, is he said, Elijah, I want you to go out into the woods and I want you to hang out by a creek 
And I want you to just stay there and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to, by my presence and my power, keep you to accomplish what I want you to do. Because I want you to go back and I want you to, at the end of when I'm through with this, what I'm doing, proclaim the rain. And I want you to confront Ahab. So he goes and know what he does? This sounds really good. You see, God shows us that he lives. The reason our flesh falters is we don't really believe Jesus is alive like we say sometimes. What do we sing that old song? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And friends, I want you to understand something. Because our God lives, he is going to be there with us to do whatever he asks us to do. Listen to what he told Elijah. He sent Elijah back into the woods. And this is the way that I see, I'm going to show you, that God proved to Elijah that he lives. And it's the same way he proves to us. First thing he does to a person who believes in him that's saved is he makes his presence known. God, if you believe in him and you put your trust in him, he's going to make his presence known. You're going to know that he lives. How's he going to do that? Well, he does a lot of things, but one thing he'll do is he makes his protection evident. He'll make his protection evident. You'll go through things in life if you choose to, de- to follow Jesus. The old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you make that decision to truly follow Jesus, he'll lead you to places where if it wasn't for his protection, you can't make it. If you don't believe me, become a preacher. Go out in this world and stand for Christ and confront the ungodliness around us with the good news of the gospel and the truth of this book and you'll find out you need supernatural protection. And he protected him. How did he protect him? He put him out in the middle of nowhere. And where did he protect him? He protected him in the commonplace experience of everyday life. You might think this would be wonderful. He put him out in the middle of nowhere. If you go read it later, I'm just going to go through it. In chapter 17, the first thing he did was he put him out there. All he had to do is lay around by the creek, drink from the creek, and the raven showed up with steak dinners, fed him meat, and gave him bread every morning and every evening. Now that sounds wonderful, but he was out there so long that the creek actually went dry. It was probably over two years. Now you would think, I'd love to do that, Miss Veronica. No work. No pressure. Guys, get out there. I'm telling you, no television, no social media, just you and God. Amen. And you're just laying out there and you're saying, I wonder how I'm going to eat. The raven showed up every day, every evening, for all, until the creek went dry. That's the faithfulness of God in the common, everyday things of life that we just take for granted. I don't know about you, but I ate a good dinner today. I woke up under a house and a roof. I have clothes to wear. The things we forget about is God taking care of us. But listen, he provides in ways that are noticeable. Not only does he protect us, he had him out there when nobody could find him. He's, protect, he's providing for him in ways that are noticeable. I don't know about you, but it's pretty noticeable when you just get up in the morning and you get woke up by a raven and he's handing you a biscuit. And then you, go, you take a nap all day, you hang out, you talk with God. And he shows up again, and he gives you another biscuit and some meat, and you go to sleep. But then listen, the creek went dry. A crisis started. A famine had occurred. There's no water anywhere. There's no land. The ravens apparently couldn't even find nothing to eat. So God tells him, look, I want you to go to Zarephath to a widow woman, and she's going to take care of you. Now you'd think, okay, God, this must be a rich woman. You're going to send me to one that's got money. 
he gets there and this old widow woman, he's looking around, he's wondering which one. She's gathering sticks. He walks up to her, he says, would you give me a drink of water? She gives him a drink of water, he said, would you make me something to eat? She said, all I got is a handful of flour. I'm picking up sticks to go cook it right now for me and my son can eat our last meal and die. God, that's where he sent him to take care of him. You see, not only does God put us in places where his protection is evident, his provision is notable, but he puts us places in life to prove to him that he lives to where his power is necessary. You see, if you don't obey God, if you don't trust God, if you don't go where God tells you and do what God... Can you imagine how scary it was to walk into the palace and confront King Ahab? An unknown preacher? <laughs> and then leave. That's that. If you read the story in chapter 18, Ahab was looking everywhere to kill him. And God's got him in, in a widow's house. And he told that little widow, As the Lord God speaks, you feed me first, and then you make a, a biscuit for your son and for yourself. And my God says that that flour and that oil will never run out until it rains again. And every day she'd get up, nothing but a handful, and she'd make that brisket. And old Elijah would eat, and then her and her son would eat. But listen, not only did he take care of her in the crisis of life, and protected him in a very evident way, provision that is so noticeable that you can't deny and power that is so necessary. It had to be God doing it. That's how he was making his presence known. But listen, on top of that, God also makes his presence known and proves to us that he's alive because he shows up with us in the calamity experiences of life. If it's not bad enough, Elijah gets up one day and the widow woman's crying. And she says, my son, my only son is dead. What did you come here for, man of God? And your God has killed my son. Elijah picks that dead boy up, takes him upstairs, lays on top of him, and cries out to his God three times and says, God, put your breath back into him. And by that power of God, by his provision, that boy got up and he brought him back and gave him to that widow woman. Friends, Elijah had seen that kind of stuff. If that's not enough, after he's lived there, after the Lord's took care of him for three years, he says, all right, in chapter 18, the first verse, he says, all right, Elijah, now it's time. Go back and show yourself to Ahab, which is a death sentence. Ahab's looking everywhere. He's going all over the nations hunting for him. So Elijah goes back to confront Ahab. This is my favorite part of the story of, of, of Elijah. Chapter 18, when I preached this, it was three sermons. It was a series. It was the first chapter 17, chapter 18. And then I preached what I'm preaching about now, Elijah in the valley. This was Elijah on the mountain. I called it Showdown at Cornwall Hill. It's like a wonderful old western. You got Elijah shows up to confront Ahab, the wicked bad guy. He's in the black hat. And he's got all the wicked people with him. It's like an old western. Like, Here comes Elijah. He says, Ahab, I've come to talk to you. And he confronts him. What are you doing, you idolatry? He says, you're the idolatry. And he says, I tell you what. He said, you go get all your prophets, your 850, all your old bad hombres, and you bring them to the Carmel Hill. And y'all bring some bulls. And when we get there, Y'all pick one and I'll pick one. And we'll sacrifice and make an altar. And the God who sends fire is the true God. And Ahab fell for it. 
Word got out, and in two, can you imagine three years of a famine, everybody starving to death, and they heard that the famine started because of the drought, that this crazy preacher walked in there and said, it's not going to rain, and now this preacher's back on the scene. Everybody's heard of him by now. They know who Elijah the Tishbit is. They all showed up, it says, in chapter 18. And Elijah sits back and says, y'all go first. All these Baal, false God worshipers, they, you know the story. They did everything, put their, they jumped and shouted, cut themselves, called out to Baal all day. But no God ever answered. Of course not, because there is no other God. There is no Baal God. At 12 o'clock, they done started early that morning, about noon, Elijah done got to getting cocky, boy. He's, he must have been an Alabama fan, amen? He's talking trash. Where is your God? Is he asleep? Maybe he's tired. So at 3 o'clock at the time of the Hebrew sacrifice, Elijah said, if y'all had enough, now my God will take a turn. And Elijah repaired the altar. He made it the way it was supposed to do according to thus saith the Lord. And he cut up the sacrifice and he laid it on there. And y'all know the story. He told them, I want to show y'all how bad my God is now. Remember I told you he might have been from Alabama. I don't know. But anyway, he said, pour a bunch of water on it. And then he called on God and he said, God, let these people know that by your word this happens. And what happens? God sends fire. It consumes the sacrifice. It licks up the water. And all the people start saying, for the Lord he is God. The Lord he is God. They got so full of God. They got so full of Jesus. He said, take them prophets of Baal down there and sacrifice them and kill them all. They executed all the false prophets. So that's what has happened. And then on top of that, Ahab's running back to go tell Jezebel and he kneels down puts his head between his legs and looks toward the sea and he started to pray for it to rain he told his servant look at the sea is it raining yet the Bible said he had to do that seven times and on the seventh time his servant said there's a cloud coming out of the sea about as big as a fist and he told him we got to get out of here because it's fixing to be a toad strangler <laughs> This is the Marvin version. But you go look, it's accurate. It starts raining so bad, he runs in the supernatural power of God, gets ahead of Ahab, and as Ahab goes back into the palace, he's standing here waving at him. Now guys, you would think after this experience with God, he could fight the devil himself. But little old Jezebel, wicked queen, all her prophets are dead. Her old king Ahab's looking like a fool. And the queen, out of her wickedness and the vileness of who she was, and there's no queen more wicked than Jezebel. I promise you, you don't want your son to bring Jezebel home. She makes a threat to him. And this is what I can't believe. And it says right there where we was looking at. And this is what I want to preach from. I told you all of this to get to here, and we're going to preach it out, and then we'll quit here in a minute. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I just hit the high notes. So she said, let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. Talking about the prophet that she had killed. Now guys, her God didn't even show up. Her God couldn't even make it fire or nothing. So you would think he'd say, well tell your God to come on because I just whooped your God. But have you ever had a moment where something unexpected Something that you should have stood for and your faith crumbled and your flesh rose up 
And even though you have grown and you matured, you're never to the point that the nature of our old man, and he said that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ourselves, can fail you. And Elijah at this moment ran for his life because he was afraid and sat down under a tree and said, Lord, just kill me. Guys, you know, I look at that and I'm saying, how could that happen to Elijah? But then I look at myself and I've had to ask myself, Lord, how did that happen to me? God, how could I preach on Sunday and give an invitation and stand with such power? And then I go to witness to somebody during the week and I have plans to share the gospel and I go to that house and I go there with all these plans to I'm going to be a soul winner. I'm going to be bold. And we talk about the weather and fishing and we never really get around to business with Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? Or there's something you need to confront that's going on that you need to go to and take the Bible and say, Sister, thus saith the Lord, we need to deal with this. But you keep waiting because you're afraid of consequences. And you don't listen to the Spirit. You don't follow thus saith the Lord because whether you want to admit it or not, our spirit is willing, it knows what to do, but our flesh is really weak. Amen? Tonight, you might be in the valley of desperation. Think about this. We looked at him. He's on the mountaintop of victory. Tonight, he's in the valley of defeat. He was the man of faith. Now, he's the man of flesh. He was on the mount of exhilaration. Now, he's in the valley of desperation. He's running for his life. Just like today, I thought I was going to see Trump. I was going to see a bunch of people get crazy, patriotic, or whatever they do there. I want to just see it. Amen? But you know what? We don't always happen the way we think. The days can change that quick. One thing can happen and bring fear into our hearts. We can be on the mountain one minute, and the next minute before the end of the day, we can be in the valley. I just talked to a friend of mine that I used to know very well. I still love him to death. We're close, but we've been distant for a while. He just called me the other day and said, I need you to pray. I hadn't heard from him in a long time. He said, my, life, my wife went to have a valve replacement, 53 years old, and it went bad. She's on a ventilator. I talked to him today, and he said, she didn't make it, brother. Pray for me. Man, what do you do like that? That's not fun part of ministry, amen? But then you can, like, go Sunday, and we preached and had eight people join. <laughs> you can go one day and be on the mountain. And when you walk with Jesus, even doing what you're supposed to do, following the Lord, doing the best you can, you can still end up in the valley of desperation, suffering from the weakness of your flesh. So what happened here? Did God give up? Did God say, I'm through with Elijah. He ain't faithful. Elijah, he should have knew better. All I did for him, and look at Elijah. He done ran from Jezebel. No. God let him run. And God was with him the whole time. You know what? As we go up the mountain in victory, God's with us. And as we go back down into the valley in defeat, God's always with us. Amen? He's with us on the mountain. He's with us in the valley. Skeeter sings them good old songs. I want you to think about this. As he went and you look, look what begins to happen. It says, then in verse 5, as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. The Lord begins to minister to him. You know, when we fail, God don't give up. God just works in us more. So God begins to minister to him. He gives him some angel food. It was some super duper stuff because he got it and ran for 40 days. Amen. 
And he got out in the middle of nowhere. You know, sometimes what you need when you're suffering and your faith has failed you, the last thing you need is a super spectacular worship service with 100 million people. Sometimes you don't need the excitement of a great song service or a passionate preacher. You know what you need sometimes? To get all away from everything else to where you can only be with God and to be alone. See, he doesn't seem the spectacular. What could God do more powerful than what he'd done? So God gets him out in the middle of nowhere and he finds himself alone in a cave. Look at verse 9. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest. I love good worship services. What a worship band. I've been at some here when the glory's in here and you can just feel the thickness of his presence. And you can see his manifestation in the countenance of the people. You know you didn't just come to church, you met with God. But I'm going to tell you, all of that is wonderful and there's a place for that. But some of the most life-changing things that truly brought me from here to another place in my walk with God has been when I'm alone with God, when it was just me and him saying, what are you here for, Marvin? Where are you going, son? What are you looking for in me? And when I get to the place that I'm crying, Lord, please talk to me. Like Jeremiah, he said, call out to me and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. And I'm seeking him. That's where he got Elijah. And he says that Elijah said to him, I've been very zealous for the Lord. He had been. That's the truth. He says, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That was true. The people of God, they had turned from God. He says, they killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Have you ever felt like I'm the only Christian in my family that cares about Jesus? Have you ever felt like I'm the only Christian in my neighborhood? That's trying to help America to have revival. Have you ever felt like no one cares about Jesus? Because sometimes it feels that way if you get put in the right place. You may be working at a job where you're the only Christian. You may be in school or somewhere. But guys, listen, Elijah thought he was all alone. And that his life was over. And look what it says in verse 11. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore. I think it might have been a tornado. We had a few of them lately. Into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A still, small voice. Have you ever heard that still, small voice? It's the loudest whisper you'll ever have to deal with. You can't get away from it. You can't get it out of your mind. You can't quit thinking about it when the Lord whispers your name. Remember when he called you out of darkness into the light of his salvation? Remember when his grace opened your eyes and for the first time you could see that he gave you ears to hear and a heart to understand? That's what God does. That's what salvation is. It's to know that the Lord's presence is with you. It's to know that his provision is evident. His protection is noticeable. He's with me. 
And how do I know that? Because his power has been necessary for me to get where I'm at. I wouldn't have made it here tonight if it wasn't for those things. How about you? And Elijah still failed the Lord. So what did the Lord do? He got him alone. And he spoke to him. And he whispered. And listen to what he says. I have been very zealous. He's sticking to his guns. Lord, I've been zealous to the Lord of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. And you know what God says? He went from proclamation to now he was getting some revelation. And he went from revelation to now he's fixing to get restoration. I want you to see what God does. God tells him, Elijah, you're not alone. I got plenty of people still that follow me. And listen to what he says. This is so cool. Then the Lord says to Elijah in verse 15, Go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. That was Benadad. He said, Benadad's not going to be king for much longer. That was the enemy of Israel, Syria. And then listen to what he says. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nishai, as king over Israel. Ahab's days are numbered, boy. <laughs> you think I'm scared of Ahab? You think Ahab's a promise to me? I already got Ahab's appointment. Successor. And you go find him and tell him. And let me tell you something. I already got your replacement. See, God don't need any of us. God just chooses to use us. But if we don't follow what God wants us to do, we don't stop God's plan. Listen to what he tells him here. He says, Elijah, the son of Shaphat, and Abel, Meolah, you anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill to Baal. In every mouth that has not kissed him. You know what he said? He said, Elijah, you're a pretty good prophet, but you're a terrible mathematician. In fact, you're pretty off on your addition. He said, you're off about 6,999. You're not the only one. I got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. That have not kissed him in worship who are loyal to me. And you go serve me. You know what he did? He said, yes, sir. He went back, did just what he did. He went back to work. How many times have we given up? And God said, what are you doing here? I know what's going on in your life. I've got it figured out. Elijah thought it was over. And God said, it ain't over. I've already got Ahab gone. I've already got Benadad replaced. And I already have your replacement. And all, we all know that Elijah was replaced by Elijah. You know how he retired? You know what? If you serve the Lord, it's not easy. It's difficult. Can you imagine the life that it must have been being Elijah? I mean, who would want to stay out in the woods and eat the same thing for two years? Even if it was free. There's some people might do that. But I like variety. Amen. But you know what? That wasn't nothing. Can you imagine what he went through in life as a servant? But you know how Elijah left this world? If you read the rest of Elijah's story, he left in a chariot of fire. He's one of the only people that didn't leave through death. He left in glory. And Elijah said, today is the day you're leaving, Elijah. And Elijah said, yes, I am. And the Bible says that as Elijah stood there, the one who would replace him, he took his mantle and he gave his anointing to the one who would take his place. And a chariot of fire with horses of fire came down. And he entered into glory. You know, we may not enter into glory in a chariot of fire, but we're going to enter into glory one day 
with the glory of either death, and death is not a problem to a Christian. It's an upgrade. Or either we're going through the rapture. Jesus is going to toot, and as one preacher told me, we're going to scoot. And we're going to be out of here, amen? But for now, we need to learn to trust our God. We need to know that our God is faithful. Now, I'm going to tell you what. My flesh, I can't trust it because it's weak. It, it fails. But that spirit that God put in me that says, just believe in me. Just keep doing it. You know what? The only way you'll lose is don't get up tonight. You may be down in the valley, but I want to tell you, God came tonight to tell you the mountain's waiting for you. I got a good future for you. I have a plan for you. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're not the only person on your street that loves Jesus. I got one down there fixing to get saved. You know, there's a remnant right here in this community that if our church and this church and all the churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God keep preaching the Word of God, there's a remnant out there that's going to get saved. Amen. Or we wouldn't be here. He didn't took us home. So there's people out there that God's going to reach. And we're part of the ones that He has reached. I don't know about you. How can we let our faith fail? Because you know why? We're just like Elijah. We have that old nature. But tonight, God forgives us. And He saves us. As we prepare for a time, tonight maybe you're in the valley. Maybe you're on the mountain. Well, you might need to still pray because the, the sooner or later you get off the mountain. Amen? And tonight maybe you're not even saved. You know the wonderful thing? Is that just like God looked at Elijah and called him to serve him. None of us tonight are saved because of our goodness. Because of our wisdom. We're all saved because of his goodness and his grace. When we wasn't looking for him, he was looking for us. When we didn't know how to found him, he come and found us. And tonight, you're not here by accident. Any more than everything that happened in Elijah's life was an accident. You're here by the divine will of a God who loves you. And you may feel like your life is over, that there's no way for you to ever have a new chance, a second chance. Man, listen, you can't mess up your life any worse than I did. But God is a professional in taking lives that are messed up and making them new. And tonight, He could make your life new. Just like He restored Elijah and put him back to work. He can restore you. He can save you and put you in the kingdom and use you for His glory and bless you. Tonight, maybe you're saved and you've been feeling sorry for yourself. You've had a flesh pity party. Amen? I love Brother Dennis. He's always telling us, stay in the fight. Don't give up. Keep looking ahead. We have victory already. We just got to claim it. Claim your victory. Be like Elijah. We're going to all pray together. We're going to have a moment to let God look into our heart. And ran no matter where we are, we're never out of the reach of his hand. Amen. God is with us. I don't know about you, but I look at America. I listen to the news. And I say, God, is there any hope for America? Will we ever see true revival again? And you know what God puts on my heart? There are those that will see it. May not be everybody, but there's a remnant. Look around here tonight. We are the product of the grace of God. And I don't know about you, when I come here, it encourages me to see you. When I go to church at my church on Sunday, it encourages me. God is at work. The question is, he's at work in your life. So we're going to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, as we bow our heads and close our eyes. We want to thank you tonight for the example, for the testimony of how you worked in Elijah. With all the miracles that he's seen you perform. 
with all the great blessings that you poured into his life. Lord, tonight we could claim answered prayers and we could talk about miracle after miracle and we could share about the faithfulness that we have seen you work in our lives. Yet we could also spend all night confessing our failures, confessing the weakness of our flesh. But Lord, in the middle of that, you're here with us tonight. And you're here to forgive us, to strengthen us, to restore us. And Lord, tonight we look to you and we ask you for the one who's struggling. Maybe, maybe there's something in our life that we just have gotten to the place. We just think it's never going to go away. Maybe there's someone who's broke our hearts. Maybe we're even angry and we're dealing with unforgiveness and we don't know how to let it go. But Lord, tonight, if we'll just look to you and trust you, you're the God who can take care of it. So Lord, we trust in you. We put our hope in you and we ask you to heal our hearts, to strengthen our broken spirits, and to give us grace to get up in the morning and to keep going for your glory. And Lord, for the one here tonight who doesn't know you, who's never been saved, Lord, I pray that just as you showed yourself to Elijah, and you whispered and spoke with that still, small voice that tonight you would call their name. That they would feel within their spirit, your spirit calling them, saying, come to Jesus, confess your sins, for I died for you. And I pray that they would ask Christ to be their Savior tonight. Lord, as we get ready to pray, we just want to confess that we're all weak in need of forgiveness. We ask you to continue to be merciful. Continue to help us. And Lord, for that one tonight who's seeking you, I pray that you'd help him to put his hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name.